Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Sunday, February 6, 2022. Welcome to yet another episode of the Now Mind You podcast. I'm TJ. I'm Matt. And today we will be going over manga and combat sports. We had some UFC, we had some boxing. In terms of the manga, we have some Hajime no Ippo, Sakamoto Days, Ayashiman, Kaiju Number no. 8, Jujutsu Kaisen, and My Hero Academia. Of course, spoilers ahead. Uh, as you guys are listening to, please be sure to check our descriptions on whatever platform you're, wa- are, you're listening on, right? Because we do have the timestamps available. So if you want to skip to a specific part, check that out. Uh, but don't say we didn't warn you. Spoilers ahead. Uh, every episode. Every spoiling episode. everything. <laughs> every episode. I'm going to talk. <laughs> And of course, before we go any further, we also have a topic of the week, which is Matt. Our topic of the week is what universe would you not want to live in? And we're both pretty sure we have the same answer. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So Matt, let's let's get into it. Take us away, bro. All right, so we're gonna start off with Hajime no Ippo. Uh, this is chapter and or around 1369. Uh, this chapter is called 5050. So um, we're still, if you haven't, uh, if you are, are not caught up with Hajime no Ippo, where we are right now is Mashiba is in the middle of his fight with Daniel Garcia, former world champion. Um, he's in essentially a title eliminator fight. Mm. Um, he had recently been able to turn the tide with an uppercut and got Daniel at range and he's starting to let off these jabs and the jabs were effective at first, but now uh, here in this chapter, we see that Daniel is starting to parry some of these jabs and work his way in, and he's trying to get on the inside to work back to the body. Mm-hmm. And as we're seeing that, we get a little bit of a flashback um, from Mashiba's coach where he's remembering in training this uppercut was something that he threw just kind of, kind of out of uh, instinct when they were in camp. And it was a thing that ended up working out pretty well. So they trained it and they worked on it. And he goes to throw the attack one more time and Daniel backs up. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to let this guy hit me with this one more time. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he backs off, you see kind of both of them come to terms with the fact that they're probably going to end up fighting at this neutral range. Yeah. Uh, And they're both comfortable fighting there, which is 50-50 for the both of them. And right after that, we get pretty much treated to seeing these guys punching, weaving, blocking, whatever, uh, everything. These guys are throwing the kitchen sink at each other and they're parrying, blocking and dodging these punches um, all while throwing at each other. And at this point, it's what they're calling it, you know, which is why the chapter is called a 50-50. So Mm -hmm. they're both trying to figure out who's going to get it, who's going to get the edge. Both of these guys go back to their corners relatively tired um and that's the end of round seven Mm -hmm. so you know we're going to see who's going to be the person that's essentially going to break and who's going to be able to uh break ground uh, going forward into the you know the next few chapters and then uh, we also get a little bit of a a mention from his coach about Ipo seeing you know yet again the main character having his effect on everybody even after he's retired from fighting he's Mm -hmm. still like matters um granted you know it's his manga but still you right. know just to see that even he plays a factor in essentially anybody who's ever come into contact with him right um but overall i thought it was a good chapter 
Um, you know, obviously it leaves you wanting more. And, uh, you know, I'm just waiting to see next week's chapter and see how this fight's going to continue. You know, the thing now is, is this fight going to go to distance or is somebody going to get stopped? Right. And, you know, according to the author, we only have one character that we know, according to him, and, you know, our author could lie. Uh-huh. Uh, there's only one character that's never going to lose, and that's Takamura. So yeah. it's not beyond the possibility that Mashiba could end up losing this fight. Uh, Morikawa, you know, he he won't hold it back. You will, you know, sometimes you'll win, sometimes you won't. So which is realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it I think it's very realistic. And I think it's a great thing to to have and it's a good factor to add to the manga. And it gives the manga, I think to me, it grounds it a little bit. It gives it that sense of realism because mm-hmm. we always expect the protagonist style characters to win. Or, yeah. you know, if they lose, it's like, you know, they'll be able to get back on the horse. But everybody doesn't get back on the horse. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. And um, sorry, not to go on a spiel, but that's just kind of one of the things about Hajime no Ipo. You know what I'm saying? Like with all of yeah. the characters, just because everybody's reality is different and they translate that. You know, like Aoki is not living the same life that Ipo was living. Right. And you know, like Kamura doesn't live like Takamura or anything like that. And their lives outside of boxing their lives within the world of boxing all reflect that the way that they fight all reflect, you know, who these people are. Yeah. Um, and that, I don't know. I just think there's, that's just a degree of realism that I think is really dope, but whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that's my, my thoughts on the chapter. Go ahead. Um, I thought for one, uh, hearing you speak, one thing that, uh, that kind of hit me and it may have hit me before. I just didn't really uh, think much about it, but, you know, we've highlighted so many times how Mashiba is really a villain, you know? And it's it's not even like in the sense of like the Dragon Ball Goku effect, but it's like Mashiba still hasn't necessarily abandoned his villain ways. We saw him mature, but the the writing of this manga is such that we're rooting for him, you know? Despite all the shit he's done in the past, it's like his fight is center stage He's in that protagonist circle. It's like we're rooting for him, which I thought is kind of cool, you know. It's um, a real full circle moment for yeah, his character. Yeah. Every part of this fight has been super full circle for his character. Most definitely. And a uh, funny thing too, it's like I thought that this chapter could have been titled I ain't worried about it. You know, shout out to Duke Deuce, right? Right. <laughs> but it's like um through this strategy, right? Through Garcia you know, trying to make his way through the flicker jabs, but instead he gets in close range. And like you said, he backs off. It's like the seeds that were planted two chapters ago in training with Mashiba and his coach are now sprouting, right? So Mm -hmm. now it has forced Garcia to be in a dilemma. All right, if I stay too long, if I go too far in long range, that's a problem. If I go close range, that's an even bigger problem because now I can't even see what's coming at me. So I got to stick it out, duke it out mid range in this 50-50. And I wrote down, like, you know, I feel like this 50-50 is leaning towards Mashiba. And I thought it was also kind of cool seeing how at the end of the round, you know, you see the different the different advice being given by the different coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Mashiba's coach, encouraging him. Garcia's coach, reprimanding the shit out of him, right? Mm-hmm. Now, going into the next round, will it still be a 50-50? Who knows? 
And I, I thought to myself too, has Garcia actually used all his tools? I forget if it was 10, or I should say 1366 or 67, whichever chapter we got where it was kind of cut off. Uh, you remember the chapter I'm talking about? Right, where we kept on short. refreshing. We kept on refreshing, thinking like, oh, there must they, maybe they'll upload the other pages. Um, but he did mention like he's got way more tools in his bag. Um, so and remember, like this is a former champ, so we we still don't know uh, what else he's capable of. He might have a plan to deal with this mid range 50 50 battle. We don't know. Uh, but I will say I'm happy in terms of what this has turned into for Mashiba. Um, and like you, I'm just super hyped to see what's next. Uh, very good chapter, people. Yep. You want to go ahead and get into Sakamoto? Oh, bet, man. Uh, Sakamoto Days, chapter 57, entitled Have a Nice Flight. Now, uh, where do we leave off last chapter? If we recall correctly, the last chapter ended with a few different panels. Uh, namely, the last panel ended on this new character who I've dubbed Anxiety Youngster. <laughs> uh, so Anxiety Youngster. Anxiety. <laughs> it's just out here, you know, fretting, worried. You know, before that, we had, we had gotten a few uh, glimpses of some other characters. And like we had talked about, right, it feels like we're going into a tournament arc. Lo and behold, this next chapter, uh, that's what we're getting, right? So how does the chapter begin? Uh, Sakamoto, Shin on the flight, eating, fueling up, looking like low-key some Saiyans with the amount of like bento boxes they just ran through. And right. we have this new character whose name is Jay Irk, aka Kill Baby, which as hey, that's that's okay. That's Kill Baby's a name. Kill Baby, Kill Baby. Kill right? Baby is a name. Kill it's baby a name. It's a name. It's a name, right? Um, but he's coming through with the bully vibes, trying to intimidate Sakamoto and Chin, because, you know, it's like fresh meat on the yard, you know, type vibes, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, again, he's out here just trying to intimidate them. Uh, anxiety youngsters, like, looking their way and be like, oh, man, I don't like seeing them being bullied. What can I do? But really, I should focus on myself, because the moment I lose focus, that's when it all ends for me. I have to be an assassin, right? Um, so... You know, we see that play out a little bit, then the vibe changes. Now, I will say too, overall, the artwork was pretty consistent. Um, like yeah. we didn't, it, it, not too slice of lifey, not too action packed, right? But like, and I don't mean that there wasn't action in the chapter. I mean like oh, everybody who's been reading up to this point knows kind of what we're talking about. Like if you see Mr. Takamura in a panel, or if you see like Slur, or if you see Sakamoto get serious, you know that artwork changes heavy, right? Um, we didn't see that, but there was some action in here. Now, as I was saying, the vibe changes and we see um, the flight attendant, right? The lead flight attendant who goes by the name of Mizuno grabbing the intercom and letting people know, hey, uh, you know, this exam is about to start. We have a few administrators planted amongst you and these administrators all have a bullet inscribed with the initials JCC. Uh, do what you need to do to obtain the bullet and therefore pass this exam. Now, usually in flights, right, when things drop down from the ceiling, what are they? The oxygen mask. Not oh, in this don't case. forget, don't forget, some of the administrators are pro heroes. Some are pro I mean, pro not pro heroes, pro assassins. Sorry, sorry. Some of the administrators are pro assassins. He is correct. Matt is correct. He is correct, right? Uh, and then we see some of the, like, instead of the oxygen mask dropping down, it's weapons. 
Now, they're not all similar. Some people get spatulas, some people get guns, some people get knives, some people get swords, some people get stun guns. Um, it's just an assortment of weapons. So like every assigned seat has a different weapon, right? And Mizuno's like, all right, it's go time. And all hell breaks loose inside of this plane, which I might add, seems to be like a jumbo, like jet, like a massive plane based on how much room was drawn yeah, in some it's of those panels. It's like, how are they able to like move so freely? Like ain't nobody cramped or everybody looks like they got leg room. They're just chilling. Um, but yeah, I want to say without getting too into it, there was another new character uh, who, as soon as I saw him, I dubbed him Young Face Mask. <laughs> <But> <laughs> young Face Mask, turns out he's a problem. And I have a feeling he's a character that we're going to see throughout this mini arc before they actually get to the JCC. But essentially this flight is the first exam, uh, or at least the first round. I don't, I don't know exactly how to dub, but you got in order to make it, you gotta get one of those bullets inscribed. You gotta figure out which one is an administrator who could be a pro assassin, right? And right. we also see in this chapter, uh, Anxiety Youngster has some type of ineptitude when it comes to guns, at least, or at least, you know, these, uh, I don't wanna flub it cause I'm not 100% on my guns, but I'm guessing like, semi-automatic right or an automatic weapon in this case and uh anxiety youngster just seems to not be very skilled with that again we don't really know this person's full skill set but based on what we saw they were kind of clumsy with it and kind of lucky uh because we see them and uh, the reason why i'm going like gender neutral is because we don't know what their gender is yet right um, and you never know. You never know. Any anime and manga fan knows exactly what, what we're talking about. Like, you never know. Could have the, the most feminine-looking face. Shout out Haku, right? Uh, I'll leave Man. it at that. I'll leave it at that. But, right. um, but yeah, we see uh, them use this gun somewhat effectively at keeping attackers from them. And then Sak they, they look back at Sakamoto there's a pen dangling from Sakamoto, like right above Sakamoto's seat. He grabs it, he looks at it, and they're like, what can he do with this pen? This is straight out of John Wick. <laughs> yeah, this is straight out of John Wick. Ooh, for real. Boy, boy goes to work with the pen, just annihilates an opponent in front of him. He's like, this is a good pen. And it ends with Anxiety Youngster being like, what the hell is going on? Um, My thoughts on this chapter, I feel like my thoughts kind of leaked in with the description, but Dude, this was a fun chapter. Uh, I did not expect the tournament arc to kick off right then and there. Is that weird? Ooh, like, I mean, no, you, I didn't expect you it. Know, you know, it was like it, it was kind of set up for that, but I was like, I didn't think it was gonna kick off like that. Also, Mizuno, Mizuno, dude, she had like three JCC boys, so she's an administrator and pro assassin too. Like, and the one of the first things I I noticed or I wrote down. When I saw Kill Baby come on the scene, I was like, oh, this boy's gonna be the first one to die. <laughs> like, like yeah, it's instantly. always like that. It's always like that. The dude who, who starts off like an asshole trying to intimidate everybody is the first one to go down every single time. And of course, who took him down? Mizuno. She took the spatula from him after he was complaining that he got a spatula and proceeded to murk him. Um, it was beautiful. But it's like, yeah, the, and <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just like, overly hype on this because it was so funny and so good um also it was interesting to know too with kill baby like he's on his fifth attempt and i had like because he was on his fifth attempt and there were other people saying that he was up to his usual shenanigans intimidating the newbies it made it seem like maybe killing is not allowed during this exam 
I was wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> I was wrong, but that was like my impressions off of the first few pages, right? Um, mm-hmm. Bro, uh, young face mask, young Oof. face mask, dude. Oof. He's a germaphobe, oddly enough, right? Like right. you saw him like hit his own hand with the spray bottle. There's always, home. there's <laughs> always that guy. There's always that guy, but he's a problem. He wasted no time. Um, didn't matter if you were an administrator or not, you were getting these hands and these bullets. Uh, like the way he killed dude, like, correct me if I'm wrong, he per- perched on homie's shoulder. And Yo, wow. and just was like, blew my man's head clean, clean off. off. Like, it was just wild. Um, he's He's gotta be somebody we see more of, right? Right now mm-hmm. with, uh, I'd say like the, the people we're probably gonna have to focus on, Mizuno, right? Young face mask, anxiety youngster, Shin, who's doing pretty well too. Uh, remember, let's not yeah. forget, Shin is psychic. And of course, our boy Sakamoto, right? I thought it was cool in the, um, the last panel or so, like when he's going to work with the pen, how his cheek was jiggling too, right? Yeah, like that was hilarious. I thought that cheek. was funny. That was really funny. Um, but yeah, I still think that anxiety youngster is going to be a problem because they fit that archetype. You know, mm-hmm. and as I said in this chapter, it's like they showed the ineptitude with the firearms, but we don't even know if that's like their true wheelhouse, their true skill set. So it remains to be seen. Whenever we, you know, we thought that other guy was an inept sniper, and it turned out that he's a ricochet sniper. Yeah, which so, is like wild, right? Insane. Yeah. Um, so you know, you never know, man. Bro, just go into your thoughts right now. Um. Man, uh, as far as Sakamoto Days is concerned, I thought, I yeah, I just was caught off guard by the fact that it started right away. Like, it was yeah. like, okay, I'm thinking they're flying to where they're going to go. We're probably going to get some explanation. Yeah, they're a little like, bit more no. exposition. Yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. yo, so shout out to y'all on this flight. Y'all go ahead and just get to throwing them right now. Then. <laughs> yeah. It was like, what? Like, yeah, are, are y'all here for the exam, right? This the exam. Um, also, when Kill Baby ran up on her with the spatula, like, what am I supposed to do with this? And she slid his throat <laughs> with it. She slid his throat with the spatula. The Kill spatula he Kill. said he could not use. <laughs> she was just like, bet. It was like, for an assassin, anything basically is a weapon. The I, look bro. on her face was just like, I, yeah. she had no expression. Like, she, like, she was nah, just bro, cold. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> Dude, crazy. I thought it was insane, man. Uh, so overall, I really was into the chapter. I thought it was dope. Uh, you know, I like that we just getting right to it. Um, yeah. I think a lot a lot of manga, uh, especially in this generation, you and I have talked about this, you know, uh, outside of the recordings. It's like, I feel like a lot of manga are really starting to just pick their pace up. Like the yeah. pacing of a lot more of manga is a lot faster these days. Um, and I'm not necessarily complaining about that. Um, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. I mean, again, we're in like chapter 57 and we're already starting what? Like our third arc? Yeah. Like fourth arc, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And yeah. all of these things have all sort of worked out in, in the ways that they've needed to. So, and this is also still just the preliminary stuff, you know? Yeah. Obviously there, we'll see what ends up happening as they continue to go forward. <laughs> I wonder if, Chainsaw Man dropping was like <laughs> the turning point. <laughs> Chainsaw Man didn't waste any time either, right? Neither like, did Jujutsu Kaisen. Neither did Jujutsu Kaisen. Yeah. 
<laughs> they all those, the same kind of generation. Those two mangas were just like the catalyst for all these. Like, we want action. We're going to give it to you, right? Like, <laughs> right, pretty much. This is just wild, man. Um, yeah. Again, I'm going I'm to just keep saying this until more people let us know in our circles that they're reading Sakamoto Days. But 57 chapters. It's still not that much of a binge. Y'all can do this. Y'all can do this. Super Get doable. in. Get in on this. Uh, with that being said, Matt, you want to take us into? Oh, do you want do you want me to take us into something else that's also super doable on chapter eleven of <laughs> Ayashiman? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, no yes, problem. Uh, yes, so we yeah. have chapter eleven of Ayashiman, which actually I think, in terms of like from a character perspective, uh, and I'll get more into it, turns out to probably be the best chapter so far. Mm, I can uh, agree with that. I would say, in terms of just development of characters and stuff like that again this it's a baby manga at this point it's 11 chapters in you mm-hmm. know but we're getting to a lot of things in these uh 11 chapters mm-hmm. so anyway where we pick up uh urara is still in her uh yokai form and she's running and um ten and Mara are pretty much struggling uh well ten is struggling to hold on to her and hold on to Mara. Right. And they're being chased by two other yokai that were sent by uh, Dopo. And uh, eventually they're able to escape. Uh, you know, she ducks off into a subway and they're able to, you know, disappear. So yeah. as they uh, they fall, they hit the ground. Uh, Urara's back in her, I guess you could say, human form or hu- human demon form, whatever. And um, she passes out. And before she passes out, Ten pretty much uh, explains what he is and why he's called Ten. Um, and Ten is apparently short for uh, Tenjo Sagari. And uh, essentially what he can do is he can move through ceilings. He can move through walls, ceilings, things like that. As long as something is connected, if it's like two connected rooms, essentially, he can go right. either up or down. Right. Um if there's a ceiling, he can go down through a ceiling or, or he can go up through a ceiling. So, you know, as crazy as that sounds, it does, you know, it makes sense. They show a, a little bit of an explanation for it. And he's the reason that they're able to get away. Uh, after they duck off into the subway, they fall through the floor, which mm-hmm. is why the yokai can't find them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so she passes out. And as Urara passes out, Mara wakes up. <laughs> and uh, oh. I thought it was funny that yeah. he's like, "Oh man, you're awake. You need something to eat. You want something to drink?" He's like, uh, 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 "Manga." <laughs> I I, I screen capped that. That was too funny. I did too. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> um, and, you know, he just reaches out and he's like, "Manga," and then you just you know essentially get the uh, ten looks at the camera face like, Come yeah. on. like <laughs> he lost and, a little um, respect for Mara. Yeah, and so we see. Uh, Morrow going through the ceiling and all of these different malls, taking money, uh, taking clothing, and uh, excuse me, mm-hmm. also taking manga, you know, mm-hmm. and you know who that's for. <laughs> yeah, and um, we see Arara wake up from a dream, uh, where she's just seeing her father's back. She wakes up, and uh, Ten pretty much lets her know that she's been asleep for two whole weeks. Now, that's relevant because, um, in the previous chapter with her, uh, you know, pseudo guardian Hashihime, she explained that when whoever Urara took her form, that uh, 
she could only management manage it for X amount of time and it would have her so tired she'd be out for three days. Now, she was a little bit younger then. So uh, we also had posed that question, like what would be the effect on her? And now we know for the amount of time that she used it, she was out for two weeks. Right. Um, another interesting fact is that for those two weeks, all Marl's wanted was manga and he has not eaten or drank anything. He's just been sitting there reading manga. Right. And, you know, um, they realized that the people that they're dealing with were able to cover up their fight that they had essentially in the middle of uh, Shinjuku. And, you know, it kind of gives them the realization that they're dealing with some people that are far more powerful than they may have expected. And Arara kind of has a moment where she feels like she's in over her head and, um, you know, like she doesn't know what to do. And then we have Maro, he gets up, he hands, hands her a manga. He's like, yo, you should read this one. I think it's pretty funny. It usually cheers me up. Mm-hmm. And we get a little bit of a peek into his character where he explains like, essentially his addiction to manga is, uh, I guess you could call like a trauma response, right? Yep. Um, yep. Because We've talked was, about this before. Yep. Yeah, we, talk, we did talk about this, but he confirmed it. Yeah. Um, by basically saying that he buries himself in manga so you know to uh relax or just to unwind but essentially to just get that out of his head to get himself out of a negative place uh even if it's just while he's reading it which also explains why he reads a lot of it because you know when we were given the background for him a few chapters ago mm-hmm. and we see that he comes from this you know abusive past and things like that um that was his escape yeah. And he's attempting to share that with her, which I think is a pretty meaningful moment, yeah. especially considering that was she had a, a very, I guess you could say human, you know, if you will, moment where she was admitting where she felt like she was wrong yeah. and that she had used them. And, you know, they both pretty much were like, that's cool. Well, tomorrow more than anything was like, yeah, that's cool. But like, I made my own choice. Like, yeah. whether you were using me or not, I decided to go with you. I decided to ride with you. So, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to deepen their bond after everybody kind of has their moment, Ten draws uh, uh, <laughs> his, their new family Yakuza crest style tattoo on his back. And I guess through, and I might have misunderstood this or maybe I didn't misunderstand it, but by you know them touching or whatever, she was able to spread the tattoo so you can see the full version of the tattoo on her back. Mm-hmm. And then he was able to get the full version. And I guess, you know, maybe it's because they, you know, he did the, uh, you know, he had her blood or whatever. So, you know, it could be because of that. But whatever the reason, manga reasons, it was cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't care. So I thought that was dope um, that they did that. Um, we also get, you know, a little bit of a, that funny panel where you see Ten trying to draw it on his back with a <laughs> marker. And it's like <laughs> those big flowers. A child's drawing. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and they also set up Morrow kind of just talking about losing the dope on. He's like, that loss sucks. And, you know, I didn't expect the first real tough person I fought I was going to lose. So, right. you know, he wants to get that back. And, you know, they settled on the fact that she can't sneak around, so they're going to have to get numbers. And right as they mentioned that they're going to need to gain numbers to, you know, be able to, to fight off Dopo and, you know, to fight and get her, get her spot. And then another one of the uh, factions pulls up, the Todoroki Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that essentially is setting up what's going to be the next thing. Something else I just wanted to jump back to that I kind of skipped over. 
um, was uh, a little bit more of the moment that she was having when she was talking about how she used them. And, you know, uh, a little bit before that, she was speaking about her wanting to get that revenge. And I thought it was a pretty heavy moment, but kind of like a crazy uh, moment as well, where she was like, man, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like I even had any right to want vengeance. Like, I never right. even met this dude. Like, right. how can I want revenge for a guy I never that met? I didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know him. And, you know, just her having that that moment, being able to admit that she just wanted to get a release. So she was using the guise of vengeance as her way to just get some sort of catharsis for everything that had happened to her up to that point. So right. I thought that was pretty crazy. But what yeah. was your thoughts, man? No, I, I agree. Like it was a pretty cathartic episode and in terms of character development. Like I feel like this chapter was specifically focused on Narara. Um, and I thought that this like up to the, I want to say last chapter, we saw her armor crack a little bit. This chapter was completely just done for. Like she bared her soul to 10 and tomorrow. And it's like now that everyone, well, I guess we still need to, no, I, I want to say 10 had his moment too uh, in earlier chapters, right? Right before he joined the crew. Uh -huh. But it's like, now they can truly grow now that they're all, they're all honest with each other, right? And just like you touched on, I thought it was very significant that Mario gave her that copy of Shonen Jump because again, um, we're, like this chapter basically confirmed it, right? They're linked through trauma different types of trauma but like that's what allows Maro to empathize and the fact that both of their respective traumas are related to their respective fathers it like uh, you know what I mean like he's just immediately able to empathize and be like hey I know what it's it I know what it's like I know exactly what it's like this is what helped me get through my trauma hopefully he can get help you get through yours and I really like you said it was cathartic but I really like that line she said about this whole time, I realize now that I'm just mad at my dad. That's definitely a breakthrough. Uh, like 100%, like that was a breakthrough. And yeah, no, it was just, it was just a really good chapter, man. Uh, just character development wise and not necessarily, like I, I wanna say this, I don't think it's like the first shonen battle type manga I've read that made deal with like the psychological i mean fuck chainsaw man but chainsaw man was just like on a different spectrum in terms of the psychological chainsaw man is damn psycho it's psychedelic it's psycho damn there. like chainsaw man was just i i still don't know how that got past you on the jumps editor it's like how did they let what that's Bro, a different conversation yeah that's it's a, a different, conversation that's a different conversation time. that is but a I different conversation you. but i will say i will say like you don't really see this where you have characters who've experienced this type of trauma, two protagonists who've experienced this type of trauma and who are helping each other get through it. Like it's not necessarily just focusing on the physical elements of battle, but also like the mental elements to being honest with each other, being honest with yourself. Um, I, this was a good chapter in that regard. And uh, what other notes did I have? You know, can I, would you mind if I jump in real quick? Not at all. Um, another thing was like, how relatable was that, right? Yeah. Like, Moro retreating into uh, manga, you know, through just through trauma and just that being his 
his escape and his way to just get away from what he was dealing with. You know, like how relatable is that for like somebody who's probably reading that manga is doing that exact right. situation. Right. Like you that, know what I'm saying? That, I just thought I mean, that was, I thought that was a good detail. It hit close to home for me. I know like when I yeah. was younger, like my, my parents split and there were some rough times, man. Like manga comics were an escape for me too. So I know it hit home. I mean, like you said, that was super relatable for me as a reader and I'd imagine for others too, you know? Yeah. Um, shit, it was, it was just a good chapter. And I just thought it would have been funny if they just kept Ten's tattoo design on Maro's back. Right. Like, just those giant flowers. But I, I don't know if it's, um, man, I didn't even think of it that way. Like it's the fact that they exchanged uh, blood or whatever that allowed her to transmit the tattoo onto. I just, I just was like, oh, uh, demon magic, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, demon magic, manga, like, demon magic, like you know what I mean. That's what that's what clicked in my head. Uh, but I like your explanation better because that 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 just shows how much they've like. I mean, like the chapter says, right? Aren't we family? That just shows how much they become a family. So yeah, I really like your bonded. explanation. Yeah, they've all um, bonded. And then I'm really hyped, like this new this new little arc going down with the Todoroki Alliance. Uh, two ways it can go, right? Big ass fight, or the I'm gonna call it the Urarara Syndicate is just about to get bigger, you know. Um, yeah, I'm really hyped for this. Really hyped. For I, this. I, I'm looking forward to it for sure. I'm very excited to see what's gonna happen. Uh, with yeah, it going forward. Yeah, um, if you want, we can jump to the next one. You ready? Is uh, that cool? uh, yeah, <laughs> any final thoughts? Or you no, good? bro. I said my spirit is good, bro. We good. Let's get into this. Let's get to this. We on chapter 55 of Kaiju number eight. We finally back, Ooh. finally back. Uh, where we left off, we're dealing with the after the aftermath of everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot more kaiju attacks as we've been seeing. Um, in this chapter, uh, but the a big thing, and I'm gonna divulge, uh, not divulge, but I'm gonna de- dive a little bit more into this uh, as we talk about this chapter. The one thing I noticed right away, and I just wanna throw this point out here before I forget it. We see uh, Kafka is inspirational to both his old team and his current team. Yeah. Um, yeah. With the opening chapter being you know, the, the cleanup crew and Kafka comes up and essentially one of the other guys on the crew sticks up for him. It's like, no, like, you know, there's no way Kafka's going to quit. And we kind of see that his belief in somebody that was like, you know, we, I've seen this with people even in real life, his belief of somebody who literally was like right next to him being able to like make it is kind of feels like him making yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he wants to believe in Kafka. And that's his inspiration to continue to do his job because regardless of how they may or may not be playing that job, like as it's whether it's important or like it's a lower level job, it's a relatively important one to have to clean up those kaiju and yeah. to understand the the mechanics of their bodies and how certain ones work because it's definitely helped Kafka be an even greater resource to them right. on the team. I think, you know, I think it's only helped that 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 expertise has only helped him, in my opinion. And not to mention, too, like uh, just take just stepping away from the Kafka side of things, probably for like their research and development, because remember, like a lot of the 
the weapons, armor, and whatnot are basically developed from dead kaiju, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd imagine, like, just for that reason alone, the cleanup crew is important. And not to mention, too, like, you know, just for society's sake, right? Like, right. <laughs> imagine, like, let's just, uh, let's go to Power Rangers. If every episode of the Monster of the Week, like, fucks everything up, and then a- Angel Grove would just not be the same, right? <laughs> like, like if there were no cleanup crew, just, just putting that out there. My bad. Go ahead, bro. Nothing. Yeah. Um. So after we see, you know, uh, Kafka's old team, haha! Surprise, surprise! We see Kafka's current team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the first division. They're training. Uh, we get, you know, the platoon leader, uh, Kikaru, and I mean, not not there. Mina is the platoon leader. Mina is the one pretty much fighting Kikuru, and they're training together pretty much. Uh, and Kikuru's trying to step it up, man, you know, and she's fighting essentially the best person she can fight other than the guy that's sitting up top, Gen, right. who's just essentially chilling, playing a game on his phone. So he poses a challenge to Kikuru that she needs to level up by the time he finishes playing his game. Um... And, you know, one of his other teammates comes in there and kicks his whole chair over and is like, dude, get your ass up and start training. Um, Shout out to that vice captain. (laughs) Right. Shout out to him. Um, And he talks to him about Kafka. He's like, look, you know, what about number eight? You know, I know he on the team, but with him turning back and now possibly not being able to transform completely because now part of his hand won't turn back regular. Right. Part of his hand is still in kaiju form. Um, and I have a theory about that, but I'll share that after. Um, he, his hand won't turn back. And essentially, what I thought was also cool was their reasoning why they probably didn't want him to be on the team. And mm-hmm. it wasn't, the, 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 the question is, will they let Kafka stay in the first division? Because now he could permanently not you know, turn back into himself. He could probably be permanently stuck as a kaiju. And if he becomes permanently stuck as a kaiju, they would be obligated to take him out. Right. Um, and, but because they recognize that he's a human, literally they're questioning doing this, which is something that you almost never see, especially within like a government organization, period, let alone in like a manga that they're questioning the use of him is not, a question of anyone's safety really but his right like dude do you want to do this because you could end up getting stuck like that right and like we're not all the way cool with put with knowing that we're turning you into a kaiju right um and you know so they essentially task again who's the captain of the team he has to go talk to kafka and let him know what it's gonna be is he gonna be on the team or will he not be and he essentially asked him, can we use your strength? I know that it's fucked up. I know that it's messed up that, you know, you could be turning into a monster, but we need you, are, bro. are you willing to risk that for the greater good? Yeah. And he was like, bro, I'm just happy you asked. Let's get it. You know, uh, <laughs> he basically said, down. say less. Yeah. yeah, essentially, he tells him, say less. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, that's a pretty dope way to end the chapter. And then I kept swiping. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, we then see at the very end, 
we see there's a laboratory and we see uh, Soshiro is talking to someone and it's the head of Kaiju number 10 in a dun, tank. Dun, dun. Yep. And it's like, God damn it. But I mean, to a degree, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. To a degree, it does make sense because you know all you know they're developing their weapons and their tech based off kaiju. So yeah, they're recovering parts and stuff of them. But you have to know if they're creating kaiju-based tech, they're keeping and preserving some of these kaiju. It'd be crazy to think that they weren't doing that. Yeah. Um, but damn, like number ten, like bro, we just dealt with homies. Like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, especially uh, if you don't mind, I'm just jumping my thoughts on this real quick. Like, yeah. It's, it's also wild because we still don't know the full extent of, of Ten's powers. You know, we saw it was taken out. We got to understand that we don't know all of its abilities and stuff like that. You know, you guys preserving them. What if bro regenerated that tank? Oh, that's one of the thoughts that I had as well. Yeah. Then what? Because now he up in there. Yeah, you know that's a whole different beast at that point. Um, and as far as my uh, theory about Kafka, my theory is they're gonna probably do something, or this might be something related to output, right? Yeah. Like as the manga has progressed, the amount of output he's had to use has been higher and higher. Right. You know, it's grown. He's gotten. He's had to get bigger physically. You know, he's had to use more power and like really have to kind of, you know, essentially he started out like one punch man. And then, you know, as the manga has continued, he's had to use more and more strength. Mm -hmm. You know, it's gotten harder for him. Um, So I think that it relates to that, like the amount of strength, the amount of, you know, kaiju he has to kind of become to defeat somebody else, I think will affect that. Uh, I'm very interested to see what's going to happen with number nine, you know, the kaiju that can turn into a human. Right. Um, because what if he ends up having a reverse thing where, like, he can't turn all the way back into a kaiju more and more often? Right. You know, that'd be an interesting thing. Um, yeah, man, I, I just think that it was, a, a you know, yet again, another good chapter. Um, and that. I'm just, you know, I want to see what's going to end up happening because there's a lot of different ways that they can play this because you also got to factor in uh, the suits for the division teams, essentially. The mm-hmm. more in sync they are with the suit, the more power the higher they can the output. Yeah. And essentially, the higher that output, you're like a human kaiju. Yep. He's already, he's a human kaiju wearing a human kaiju emulator. You well, I mean, like, just think about... Uh... Shinomiya Isao, right? The 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 former general, basically, who right. just got taken out by number nine. Like he was basically walking like kaiju number two. Right. Um, and just like with the sheer mind, I feel like <clears throat> the only one who was even close to him is now Narumi, right? In terms of being able to draw out the full power. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh to what you're saying. Exactly. They're just basically mini kaiju, and like Kafka is like basically kaiju wearing kaiju, <laughs> kaiju on kaiju. Yeah, so like, what what's gonna be the play with that? Ultimately, yeah, you know, yeah. because they we've already seen that he's been able to you know increase his percentage. Though it was one percent, he's still able to increase it. You know, yeah, and that's gonna be something that I'm sure is gonna factor in. They're gonna have to do something to play that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts, man. How you feeling about Kaiju Number Eight? 
Um, I thought it was a good chapter. I really like what you said about him inspiring, like his example, inspiring some of the other workers or like his former team in the cleaning force because uh, they could have been slacking, especially this dude. They even like mentioned how he was like a gambler and a drunk, but like he's kind of like maybe turned around, turned, turned his like mindset around, like turned over a new leaf and just wants to do better because he's seen somebody who was with them in the trenches, like do better too. Right. Um, yeah. But, but actually like slight correction though. Um, Kikoru is training with not Mina, but Shinonome, who is a platoon, a platoon leader, uh platoon leader under uh, Narumi. Right. Mina. Oh, is, uh, yeah. My Mina bad. is still, although it looks like she has the same weapon as Mina too. But uh, the reason why I knew it wasn't Shinonome is because I had to look it up. Cause I thought it was Mina too. And I was like, wait, is that Mina? I don't remember Shinonome being her last name. So I had to look it up on the, the wiki for Kaiju number eight. Um, uh, I got you. My bad. No, no, no. It's all good, man. Because they look really fucking similar. Especially since it's like, you could argue that this chapter may have been a slight time skip. Um, I felt like this whole chapter was like the start of the training arc. Kikoru's like leveling up her training. And at the end of the chapter, before we see the little slice with uh, Vice Captain Soshiro and uh, Kaiju number 10, it looks like Kaka's about to get some one-on-one training with uh, Narumi, right? That's that's the vibe I, I got. So. That's the vibe I got, at least, right? Yeah, um, I hope so. And then, what else? Have you you hit on a lot of really good points. Um, I thought, okay, so as you said and as you mentioned, right? If he continues to turn into a kaiju, he might end up losing his ability to revert to a human. I thought it was interesting that they put it that way because. It seemed as if he would lose his ability to revert to a human, but he they never said that he would lose his humanity. Right. Um, the wild card is still the, the kaiju in him. Now, if, if you all recall correctly, uh, or if you all recall the chapter where uh, Izao or Shinomiya Izao is putting Kafka to the test, basically giving Kafka the chance to show that he is a human being. Kafka's having that internal battle between him and that kaiju that shot up his mouth and turned him into kaiju number eight. Um, I I hope that we get something, and I'm sorry, Matt, sorry, but something similar to Bleach. I'm sorry, Matt, Matt, I'm sorry. I'm similar, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh-huh. but similar to Bleach, where we see Ichigo uh, basically uh, training with Zangetsu, right? I'm not saying it's got to be like a carbon copy, but like that's the wild card, in my opinion, with Kafka's kaijufication. Like, can he find a way to find some type of common ground with that inner kaiju, right? Because when that inner kaiju took over, it was a problem. Like you mentioned him getting bigger in size. Like, remember how big he got in that training room? Like he was out of control. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think the key, or at least it'll be interesting to see like what that one-on-one training with Narumi is going to look like. But I, I want to say we're going to see that inner Kaiju, or at least that that astral plane, like, hey, bro, you got to figure out how to tame that inner beast, or at least communicate with it, be a factor uh, going into like his training arc. I also want to say too, you know it was serious when the double page spread was in color. 
Like you right. know it was serious when it was right. in color like that. That, like that far back in that the chapter impact, two? Yeah, that impact. That's something you usually say for the beginning. Like that impact could just hit different. Shit, that was the first page of a G-Man Olipo, you feel me? Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. put that, like, it wasn't even the final panel. It was no. that moment. Yeah. They really emphasized that. And, like, just the seriousness showing up in Narumi's eyes, the seriousness showing up in Kafka's eyes, like, it just hit in the best way possible. And, of course, our boy Soshido having a chat with Kaiju number 10's remains, uh, like you said, man, my first thought was like, what if he fucking regenerates? Um, my other thought is like, okay, it's just a panel. <laughs> like, like, you know, yeah. when we come out with merch, that's gonna be one of our items. It's just a panel. I, I there's, panel. there's no way that's not gonna be a merch item. But um, yeah, like the eye is what's kind of making me wonder if he is actually conscious or or not. Right. Uh, because it looks like it's glowing, but I'm not sure. And of course, like the bubbles in the tank make it seem like there's something going on there, but that could just be like whatever liquid is in there, you know, being active, right? But uh, I'm thinking it's either going to lead to some type of interrogation because uh, the look in Soshido's eyes, uh, it just looks like serious business, right? <laughs> so right. it's either going to be some type of interrogation or maybe they have advanced enough technology where they can just potentially mine the kaiju's brain for information directly. Um, but yeah, it looks like they wasted no time in dismantling them because shit, those are, those are his remains right there. But other than that, like I said, I'm hyped for the next chapter. I feel like it's usually about three chapters in a row, then a little hiatus. And like, we get like those little mini chapters. Where it's like, Oh, check out the covers from the past weekly chapters we had. Right. Um, so I want to say we should get another chapter next week, but let me not what? jump the gun. Kaiju number eight. I want to say, let me look. Yeah, we're getting in an, eleven we're days. Another one next week. In eleven days. Okay, fingers crossed on that. But yeah, uh, good chapter, man. I got nothing else. Yeah, With that man. being said, we ready for a little Jujutsu Kaisen? You already know. You <laughs> already know. Whew. All right. Take it there. Jujutsu Kaisen, chapter 174, titled Sendai Colony, part one. Uh, last chapter, we left off. I'm not even going to go fully into the last chapter, just the last panel. Yuta entered the chat, right? Entered the chat, baby. This chapter starts off a little bit different. And before we dive into the chapter, in my notes, I just uh, went back to the last chapter just so I could get the names of the new, the new characters that we're dealing with. And just to remind everyone, right? So the new rogues in this chapter, the new opponents, we have Ryu Ishigori, a.k.a. the Pompadour. That's what I'm going to call him because, you know, he's got that Kuwabara. <laughs> you feel me? Like the Kuwabara Pompadour. Yeah, for real. Um, Durov Lakdawala, uh, who just got murked by Yuta, right? Uh, uh, sorry, Takako Udo, uh, the floater, whose, like, clothing is a little translucent, but she controls the sky. And then Kuro... Kuro Rushi, right? The Roach. Um, these yeah, are the man. new characters that were introduced last chapter who are basically the big bosses in this colony. They have racked up the most points inside this calling game. And um, I'm going to stop calling the drone the drone. It's Kogane. I just keep forgetting every time we record that the drone's name is Kogane. But, yeah, I do too. Right? Um, this chapter, 
we start off with uh, Takako and Ishigori realizing that Lakdawala just got murked because they see his Shikigami essentially disappearing. And I believe it's Ishigori who makes a comment like, oh, this is the reason why I was able to get so close to Lakdawala's territory because, yeah. you know, uh, uh, the, the Shikigami just passed or like just dissipated into thin air. Like he must have gotten murked, right? Right. Um, and one thing to note too, going into this chapter, we get um, Takako and Ishigori's internal monologues, and oftentimes they're having the same thoughts, which I thought was cool. But just something to keep in mind, like throughout this chapter, they are essentially observing what is going down uh, with the new player that has entered, according to Kogane, right? Yuta, right? So, like I said, it starts off with that. Uh, Yuta dispatches uh, Lakdwala. And then because he dispatches Lakdawal, or at least right before that, before I jump too far ahead, right? We also see that Yuta has not just been, you know, going around fighting for himself, but he's also taking care of the non-combatants who are in the calling game. Now, this brings up an interesting callback. And I say this because when the calling game started, uh, we got to give Kenjaku credit for this. He did give everyone in the affected colonies an option to either stay or leave. Now, that being said, it also may have shown up in their psyches like it was a dream, even though this happened physically, like he may have appeared to them in a dream. So maybe these people didn't take it seriously because of that. But he did give everybody the option to choose to opt out, right? And as we can see, some people didn't opt out. So as a result, we have quite a few non-combatants like civilians, children, right? Uh, who are caught up in this. And Utah has found quite a few of them and has taken it upon himself, you know, to uh, protect them and to guide them and to, to just guide them to safety. So he just got rid of Lakdawala and inside of Lakdawala's territory, I believe it was a stadium uh, that they were just about to enter into uh, under this bridge, right? And as soon as they're about to do this, uh-oh, because Lakdawala got murked, turns out Lakdawala's presence was keeping Kurorushi at bay. So this was, was what was condition. keeping, that was the condition I was keeping the roach at bay. And now that the roach is awakened, he's starving. So this is another chapter where you got a lot of text bubbles and you really had to read the text bubbles, right? Um, Kurorushi is in a state of constant hunger, right? And because of this, as soon as it is awake, it must feed because it is always starving. And the thing that like stood out to me and probably stood out to everyone that read this chapter was the line about, I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation, the Parthenon, Parthenon, Parthenogenesis. Um, I looked up what Parthenogenesis means and basically it comes down to asexual reproduction. If you don't know what that means, but oh, the ability gosh. to reproduce without necessarily fertilizing the egg. Right. Right. Um, there are a lot of insects that can do this. Some species of lizards can do this as well. But uh, I have a note on what that could potentially mean in the in in this battle that essentially ensues. But right, the roach is in the chat. It's now Utah versus the roach. And let's let's just say the way this roach is introduced in this chapter, man, Jujutsu Kaisen never seems to underdeliver when it comes to gore and violence. Um, 
We see Utah shepherding these non-combatants to a safe area. And as he's shepherding them, that's when a swarm of flying roaches and the way they're moving it, it honestly, even though it's drawn, looks like it's, it's a liquid wave, right? Um, as soon as they're about to get to safety, there's one dude running, running, running towards you. He's like, help, help me. And the swarm is right behind him. You just like, I can save this dude. Goes in to save him. And he's able to get to his arm and tries to pull him into safety. But the roaches basically reduce this man to a skeleton within two pages. Yo, and it was like, insane. they exploded out of him. They like bifurcated him, basically split this dude in half and then just, if you've ever watched like a Looney Tunes or any cartoon where they've either had cartoon piranhas or cartoon termites, and maybe that's triggering for you some of the guys like the sound of like something being chewed at in high speed. That's what I thought of when I was reading these panels. Like they just reduced homie to a skeleton in little to no time. Like clothes, everything gone. Um, and this is basically and and Utah. Uh, shout out to him, like just being considered special grade and like special abilities and not just, you know, cursed energy, cursed spirit manipulation or anything like that. Like the dude is just OP in all aspects of being a sorcerer. Um, we just see him make short work of this wave. Like the, the cockroaches go for him next. Uh, the, I'm sorry, let me look at his name again. Kurorushi, right, directs the wave at Yuta because Yuta interrupted his feasting and Kurorushi's instincts are like, oh, we need to target this dude next, devour him. He might be able to satisfy our hunger, which is impossible because he's always hungry, right? Um, mm -hmm. In the meantime, while this is going down to Utah directs Rika to smash the bridge in order to, you know, uh, not necessarily trap the people inside, but create an obstacle so that the wave can't get past the bridge or at least the rubble and attack the people on the other side who are safe for the time being. Um, then it switches over into Utah's internal monologue. We see his thought process. We see him thinking about uh, yeah. the rules that have been added currently. And we see him come to the conclusion that for one, resources are limited. We have non-combatants. We need to be able to allow people to travel freely through these colonies, right? We need to be able to stop people though. Like we can't just have somebody like uh, Kurorushi, Kuroroshi, sorry, or no, Kurorushi, my bad. Uh, traveling out or Lakdawala who just got murked traveling and out but we also need ways to allow allies to communicate with each other so these are a whole bunch of rules and he comes to the conclusion that four rules are going to be needed to be at are going to need to be added to the game um, and he says it in one line I've decided to get 400 points myself now we have yeah. to understand something this isn't just you know I'm gonna just stack up points this is like every time you add a new rule, you're set back to zero. And in order to accumulate those 100 points, a lot of things have to be done, namely killing other combatants, getting them in transfer points, so on and so forth. We've already seen it happen in the Tokyo Colony arc, right? Uh, we've seen it happen with uh, Megumi. We've seen it happen with Itadori. Not necessarily adding a new rule, but just how the accumulation of points occurs, right? So we've seen instances. So we kind of have an idea of what Utah is setting out to do. Um, another panel right before we, we, we get kind of get to the end there, I uh, kind of jumped a little bit, but he also mentions that 
And we see his compassion that he doesn't want Gojo Sensei to have to kill his comrade twice. Now, yes, it's no longer Suguru, right? It is Kenjaku, right? But still, Kenjaku is out here gallivanting about in his best friend's body. So he wants to spare Gojo that, that anguish, if you will. Wow. Um, and the chapter essentially concludes with Yuta assuming a stance with his katana, saying that he won't like he will acquire those 400 points by himself. And those are some cold panels because the look on his face is not just confidence, but it's it's really cold um, in the best way possible. He and ain't then, worried about nothing. He ain't worried about it, man. Shout out Duke Deuce. Uh, and then also we see uh, Kuro Rushi, the roach, who hasn't really uttered a sound. So this, 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 uh, this participant is a cursed spirit. So we don't know if it has the ability to speak. We, we have yet to know much about it other than what was introduced in the previous chapter and what we've seen so far in this chapter. Um, but it pulls out what is called, did I, the, the festering, the festering life sword or the festering life sword. Yeah. Um, it looks like a problem. And it, it ends with the whole thing about the sword being able to mix life and death. It's just a panel, but it's an ominous panel. Um, we're gonna get, I, I feel like we're gonna get more of Utah in action, but uh, before, before we get into that, let me just get into my thoughts. Um, yeah. I literally wrote, this is what I've been waiting for, a Utah-focused chapter. Um, I really appreciated Ishigori and Udo just kind of like hanging back and seeing what's going down right before making any types of moves. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess it's because if Okotsu dispatches Kurorushi, it'll just make their lives a lot easier, right? Because they had all essentially come to some type of stalemate, if you will, uh, between the four the four people who had the most points until Utah entered the chat and started murking Lakdawala. And mm -hmm. we'll see what goes down with uh, him versus the Roach. Um, I thought, yeah, I mentioned the whole thing about the non-combatants and Kenjaku giving them that chance. Uh, bup, 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 bup. Yeah, I, I still think that whole scene with uh, that one innocent bystander getting fucked up by that swarm of roaches was just a hard thing to read. But man, it was it was it was it was perfectly Jujutsu Kaisen. Like, ain't yeah. nothing new in terms of the violence. Like, we've seen that Be before. Back. We yeah. deliver. Yeah, like that, that's that's Jujutsu Kaisen all day. Um, I said that Rika knocking the bridge down would be useful, but it's like, if it's a swarm moving the way it's moving, it's only a matter of time. Like if um, if the roach just sends a swarm, like it'll just go over that collapsed bridge and still get to these innocent bystanders, I think. So it's useful in the moment, but it feels like a short-term solution to protect those folks. Um, and then I wrote, Utah is strong. Like one slash, dude, one slash and just like oh. defeats the whole swarm like that. Um, he ain't worried about it. He ain't worried about it, bro. Uh, and here's the note I really want to hear your thoughts on too. But that whole thing about the asexual reproduction made me think that Kuroroshi, Kurorushi, sorry, will clone himself or can make some cell juniors. Um, but I feel like there's no way during his fight with Yuta that's going to be a true one-on-one. -on -one. But at the same time, Yuta is, is touted as being so OP, like he can maybe also defeat Kurorushi in one strike. 
we don't know. Like, remember, like they say he's second only to like Gojo, right? Not just with like, you know, having Rika, but like just on his own special abilities, right? Shout out to yeah. Jujutsu Kaisen Zero coming in theater soon. I'm hype on that. Uh, <laughs> and then the his whole internal monologue showing how compassionate he is was dope, but also seeing how confident he is. I'm going to say it again, that panel talking about the 400 points and him getting into that stance. I mean, that's just cold. Like that was my screen cap for this chapter. Yeah, um, that growth, man. Yeah, yeah. And man, that, it's weird too. Cause like in Jujutsu Kaisen, right? The whole um, festering live sword. I, it's like, it has no blade to it, but it's not the first time we've seen a cursed weapon with no, that, that, is touted as a blade also have a dull edge to it but still be something to be reckoned with so i'm yeah. kinda, i'm really curious about what this next part of the battle is going to look like and the mixes life and death thing it worries me a little bit um yeah you know remember they uh the, the one guy who's passed away now uh with the with the overtime power yeah yeah he uh his blade was taped up yeah nanami Nanami, yeah. Nanami. Yeah, 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 yeah. His blade was taped up. So, you know, a dull edge don't mean nothing in that. Yeah, universe. when it comes to this world, right? Yeah. What'd you think, man? Um, again, it delivered right on time, you know, with a, a Yuta focused chapter right around the time uh, that the hype for your movie is that's focused on Yuta is high. So you Good know, call they know out. what time it is, they know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Um was a lot of was a lot of good explanation mm -hmm. here uh this again was one of those chapters where you got to read everything um and it was cool kind of seeing one the growth of this character like you had mentioned and seeing him kind of be two different ways like you know seeing what his disposition was even in the very beginning when he saved those people yeah to later on when that's not happening you know what yeah. i'm saying yeah um and you know seeing his confidence and this is going to be our first time really seeing you to go to work yeah now that he's you know Utah. yeah you know now that we did you know this is a time skip Utah as far as we're concerned that's true um so this is going to be our first time really seeing it we've only seen you know a taste of how strong he is and we know how strong he's supposed to be so mm -hmm. i'm just looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the next chapter if i'm being honest most definitely and once again haven't had a bad issue of jujitsu kaisen yet just putting that out there. I know that sounds like a broken record, but it delivers every week. Like, I, I want to say when I'm taking my notes, Jujutsu Kaisen is usually the largest paragraph, <laughs> except for maybe Super, right? But like, like yeah. when, when Super is in the chat, but typically it's always Jujutsu Kaisen that takes up the most space on my page. Uh, there's just so much to pay attention to in the best way possible. Um, yeah. With that being said, uh, you got any final thoughts, Matt, before I move us to My Hero? No, man, go ahead. I'm all good. My Hero Academia, Chapter 342, entitled The Extreme Quiet Before the Storm. Uh, last chapter we left off with, it's been a minute, right? right. Actually, you know what, bro? Like, hold on one second. <clears throat> um, just go ahead. Uh, oh, okay, boom. Shout out to the Vizmog app. Last chapter we left <laughs> off with. We saw uh, our boy Kai, our boy Shigaraki talking to uh, Iguchi, basically like the lizard dude, 
telling them that you need to take these heteromorphs and lead them into battle, right? That's where we left off last time. And then we start off this chapter where we see that indeed uh, AFO, all for one, had some more moles, more plants. And this time it wasn't even amongst the heroes per se. It was amongst the, you know, alleged civilians. I don't know why I said alleged civilians, but basically amongst the non-combatants, right? He still has some moles. And I thought it was, int- well, let me just let me just get into the description for this chapter before I start pointing out all my notes. But we see that all for one is commanding them to like cause unrest, get the people riled up so it could cause everyone to, well, not cause everyone, but get the administration to want to kick Deku out of the campus, right? Because the people are feeling unsafe with him there. So basically start a riot to get Deku kicked out, which is kind of AFO's version of the whole divide and conquer, but just to isolate Deku. Because let's not forget that he also wants uh, one for all. Like that's one of the powers he doesn't have. He wants that power that dates back to his little brother, right? Yeah. Then it switches us over to the student dormitories where you see everybody's like gone back on patrol. They're a little exhausted because it's just been, you know, it's it's been nonstop. Like they still have to keep working. They still have to keep patrolling. They still have to keep watching out. Because again, we they also remarked that they are currently outnumbered. The villains do outnumber the heroes. So, and a lot of heroes did retire. So their numbers are short. Um, then of course, All Might, Tsukauchi and the principal walk in and it is now time to once again, go over the plans for this final battle. Uh, well, I shouldn't say final battle. They tout it as the second pivotal war. Uh, but a lot of the panels in this manga just kind of cement the vibe that this is indeed the final arc. So once All Might makes that whole, like, it's time to discuss our final plans for the Second Pivotal War, we see, like, vignettes, right? We see that, once again, Horikoshi has chosen to kind of keep us, the readers, out of the loop, right? Mm -hmm. But obviously the vignettes provide a little bit of hints, but it goes from you know, UA, Class 1A, to then Hawks, Endeavor, Best Genus, and that one girl who's part of that cat team. I forget right. their name. Um, then it goes from that to uh, Aizawa, right, looking over his old homies whose body was used for that one Nomu who's been used to, like, teleport the villains all over the place, uh, but who they have in custody. Belly Laser, who is still a bitch, shout out Matt, uh, uh-huh. in his prison cell. Switches back to UA, Class 1A. We see Bakugo, Todoroki looking pretty, like, serious, solemn. And, of course, Deku looking pretty serious and solemn as well. And then it switches back to UA. It basically cuts to, uh, all right, I'm out. (laughs) Deku's like, thank you for your hospitality, but I'm going to get going. We're going to switch. And it's not just him this time. It's a whole crew of heroes, right? So they're going to keep the campus. I mean, it's going to be safe but they're going to let all the civilians just like kind of stay there and like move all the heroes out to another fortress and stronghold. Now it also cuts to the dude who is revealed to be an agent of all for one saying like, yo, uh, this worked out better than ever. I don't have to necessarily start this right. They did what we wanted us to do for us. Right. Um, And I had some thoughts on that too. Like, if it, if it feels too good to be true, whether it's hero side or villain side, there's probably something else going on there. And then it switches over to a few panels, right, where 
you know, we see them hugging family members, we see them hugging people they've rescued in the past. And these were the panels that made me think, yeah, this is definitely some type of final arc. It was kind of cool to see Aerie in them too, but uh, yeah, and then they switch over to the new fortress, the new stronghold, blah, blah, blah. And we also have this scene uh, between Uraraka and Deku. And it made me think like, this is that bleeding heart stuff again. <laughs> I mean, it, it was that, cause it, it's like Uraraka is having a Deku moment basically where she's thinking about Toga and, you know, even though Toga has committed a lot of murders, like at the end of the day, she's still a human being. And I had some notes on that too, but mm -hmm. Deku empathizes with her and is like, hey, I get it. When I look at Shigaraki, I see the same thing too. Um, at the end of the day, we are heroes, basically. Basically, they're like alluding to like, we should try to save them. Switches back briefly to Todoroki's room where him and the boys are out there just chilling and they're kind of like showing their support for him. It's like, yo, we know you got to fight your brother, blah, blah, blah. We got your back. Kind of those vibes, right? And finishes with a, a text bubble, which we can attribute to Todoroki, but I like to think of it as like, all of them are saying it just like separately, but at the same time, you know what I mean? Um, where they're like, we'll put a stop to them for sure. And it ends with all for one saying, shall we? And this is the day of the operation. All right, going into my thoughts. Um, yeah, it kind of goes back to a conversation we had a few chapters ago where we talked about how there's no way uh, All For One doesn't have multiple moles, right? I keep thinking back to that maze panel uh, where it just shows all the different routes that lead to his overall goal. Um, his plans are always layered. The dude is always thinking steps ahead. So this was kind of good to see that confirmation. Like, yeah, there's definitely more than one wall. Uh, it wasn't just belly laser. Uh -huh. um, it's, and yeah, I also thought that while on the one side, the heroes are trying to employ a divide and conquer between All For One and Shigaraki, he's trying to employ a divide and conquer to just isolate Deku because Deku is his part of his goal. Um, I thought it was funny, like, whenever you see All Might in his, like, weekend state, it's like, why is he drawn so cartoony? Like, we get that he's supposed to look emaciated, but it's like, homie doesn't have any eyebrows, lips, his eyes are sunken Bro, in, look looking, like like, looking like a meth head Sonic. <laughs> Look like yeah, a method Sonic real. the Hedgehog, bro. He's like, I'm like, crazy. They got to draw him like, like that. Small might like this, man. <laughs> Small might. Don't do my man like that. <laughs> but so I was like, you didn't have, I mean, we get he's amazing. You didn't have to do him like that. Um, like that. So that I had to make a comment on because like, I just couldn't handle it this chapter, especially the way he walked in. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. it's like, he's looking crazy. Um, and of course, yeah, like I mentioned, it's like they're leaving the readers out of the final plans conversation, which I love and I hate. Um, it's interesting writing. It definitely makes you want to keep reading because like, I got to find out what they were talking about. But I hate it because it's like, okay, just because you're leaving us, if you just tell us the plans, it's a comic book. We're not going to somehow leak this information to all for one. None of this is real, right? So I don't know. Right. Uh, it's an interesting writing choice and it works because we're still reading and we're still talking about it. Um... And then I wrote down, like I said, Uralaka's a bleeding heart too, huh? <laughs> but um, I thought it still touched on a theme that we didn't, we don't just see in this comic book, but this is something that has come up with uh, discussions about like 
uh, people who have committed like atrocities in history, right? It's very easy to turn them into others or monsters, but we have to forget they're still human and humans can be capable of this level of atrocity, right? right? But my thing, and I think you agree, is like, whatever you feel, whatever these characters are feeling like, let's make sure that they're not too bleeding hard to forget that these people need to see or need to need to answer to justice, right? They need to yeah, answer man. for their crimes. Like, yeah, you do what you want, save them or whatever, but you know, they need to answer for their crimes. Dude, you, you can be the hero, but don't murk them. Okay, cool, you got your code or whatever, but there's also law, right? Um, that's, that's what I thought with that. Uh, okay, so I haven't watched any of the My Hero movies, and I remember you watching, or not watching, but telling us that they are indeed canon. So I got some catching up to do in that regard. And the reason why I say this is because what this is something that has been bothering me ever since All for One has been introduced in, in the present day of the manga. What wow. the fuck happened to his face? Like, don't show it. Uh, what the fuck know, happened to his face? Like, All Might punched it off. Bro, but like, uh, so the next comment I wrote was like, did All Might reflect his force lightning back to him? Like, like, <laughs> like it was a Mace Windu, like Darth Sidious shit. Like, what the fuck happened to his face, bro? Yeah, that's uh, crazy. Like he's got no eyes. Like obviously he's got quirks that uh, compensate for that lack of vision, right? But it's still like, dude, I can't. Every panel where we see him up close just like makes me shudder, like physically shudder. I'm just like, ah, <laughs> it's too yeah. much. Um, and I I thought it was pretty dope um, seeing Todoroki and the squad just kind of cheering him up, right? We have uh, Kirishima in there. We have uh in Gen in Genium, right? Ida, and then we got uh, our boy Bakugo. Um and uh, was uh was Kaminari in there? No, it was just Kirishima, Bakugo, and Ida. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was cool just like supporting him because like at the end of the day, he's gotta fight his older brother, who he didn't even know was alive. Like they really did not like like all uh, I should say all my endeavor really kind of like brushed Toya's existence. And it seemed like the other siblings weren't really talking about it too. Like it was like the family shame uh, in so many ways, and probably the cause of so much of their their family dysfunction, right? Especially those chapters yeah. leading up to that, right? Um, but I noted too, like I don't think we've ever truly seen. Well, there are a lot of chapters, but this is like the first time in recent memory seeing Todoroki smile, and this is the first time where it was like, did Bakugo just crack a joke? Um, I thought that was kind of significant, but it also made me think like, oh, this really might be the final arc. Uh, very similar to how Vegeta said sorry during the Cell Saga when they all thought it was over, you know? Um, it just, that joke just hit a little different, but yeah. and those are my thoughts, bro. What did you think? Shit, I, I think I was trying to stay awake reading this chapter. <laughs> um, I'm over it, man. I'm I'm just not even gonna hold you. I'm gonna Let's get to the eyes. action. Yeah. Yeah, man, look, it's time for the war. Yeah. Y'all been yeah. doing a lot of build-up. I get it. And it's like, we're going to get another chapter where they're going to do more explanation. Yeah. It's like, wake me up when it's getting, when they get cracked. Like, it's time at this point. Yeah. Like, like, what else do you need to set up? Who else do I need to know is there? Because you could very well just get it started and show me these characters in the war. Like, we've seen that happen time and time again. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just play it like that. It's like the opposite side of the spectrum compared to Jujutsu Kaisen, Sakamoto, and Chainsaw Man, right? Where they're just giving us the action, and here it's like we're giving you that build up. 
you know? Man, but it's like, it's giving me so much build up that I'm almost at a point where it's like, well, whatever then. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, man, I'm just almost over it, you know? But but you're gonna read next week's chapter, <laughs> like, yeah. right? Like, like it's got. I just sick. need to complain. That's what yeah. I'm here for anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um. Excuse me. But yeah, no, I agree. It's like as interesting as as a chapter. Uh, I should say as interesting of a chapter as this was. Let's just get to it already. And I I honestly would have liked a follow up to that whole head or more things, or at least something that indicates where the timelines are, right? That heteromorph chapter made us made us think like, oh, things are underway. But then in here, it's like, things are still building up. I don't know, man. Um, and I would also like to see if All For One is a little bit worried that they just did exactly what he wanted them to do. And I guess that kind of fits into the whole, like, we don't know what the plan is, right? But it's a little interesting, like, like the, the mole for him is like, oh, y'all are just doing exactly what we want. But then the last panel is him seemingly smirking, uh, all for one that is seemingly smirking, saying, shall we, right? So I don't know. Let's just get to it at this point. Like you said, let's just get to it. That's just how, that's just how I feel, man. I, I've had enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that wraps up uh, manga. I think, what, next weekend will be the, the 13th, so we don't have any super on the horizon. But yeah, we can... We super until the 20th. Yeah, we can reasonably expect to see... My Hero, Jujutsu, possibly Kaiju number eight, because it did say 11 days, but then it dropped Kaiju on number Thursday. Eight is dropping on the yeah. 17th, so okay. it will not be on the next show. We'll be doing Sakamoto Days, Ayashiman, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. And no, no, possibly no, no. a Hajime no We will not be doing Jujutsu Kaisen. Hiatus? going on hiatus until okay. the 20th, sorry. All right, so we might be missing like two titles uh, going into next week. Next week, we're only doing Sakamoto Days, Ayashiman, and Hajime no Iko. Okay. No, My Hero? Wait, no. No, my, no my Hero is... Uh... Yeah, oh, no, yeah, we should be getting My Hero next well. week as well. Yeah, yeah. And My yeah. Hero as well. Yeah. All right, Matt, you want to take us into combat sports? Yeah, so um, over the weekend, we had uh, the PBC... Uh, pay-per-view which was headlined by Keith Thurman and Mario's Barrios and we also had a, a UFC fight night that was uh, the main event was Jack Hermanson versus Sean Strickland um, as far as the UFC fight night goes I wasn't able to catch the entire thing I caught a few of the highlights I'm not going to lie um, but there were some pretty interesting storylines uh, going into the show and some things that I, I found to be pretty interesting, uh, and I'm just going to just talk about it just a little bit. Um, we had, uh, man, I'm just going to go by his nickname, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, he had his debut, uh, Chitty, and I don't want to, I just don't want to butcher his last name, but he made his debut and he got, I believe, the second, if not the 
uh, fastest finish in middleweight history with a 16 second KO. Oh, so uh, like just even surpassing the year to date, just straight up history. Yeah, history, period. Damn. 16 seconds. Uh, he just, he countered right over the top of, um, countered right over the top of a body kick with a one, two. And that pretty much was it. And I mean, man, the, the impact that one, two had was something serious. Um, the main card itself was overall relatively entertaining. You know, uh, like I said, I just didn't get a chance to catch a lot of it. I was pretty in and out. Uh, I was a little busy during the time it was on. However, I did catch the main event on uh, the main event, Jack Hermanson and Sean Strickland. So Sean Strickland has been on a little bit of a tear recently at a uh, middleweight and um, you know, the guy wants to get a title shot and Jack Hermanson yeah. had been able to kind of turn things around, but he's been hanging around that top half of the middleweight division looking to kind of crack his way through. So if he would have been able to stop Sean Strickland's momentum, then he would have gotten a title shot. And if Sean Strickland would have been able to, uh, you know, pretty much put, get Jack Hermanson out of there on his path to the title, then he would have been able to get the title shot. And right. um, ultimately it was kind of like, it was on paper, the, the uh, grappler versus striker kind of matchup. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack Hermanson is a you know pretty decorated grappler and it's, pretty much known that he's a grappler. You don't want to get on the ground with him. Uh, if he gets you on the ground, he's more than likely going to get top position. And um, he's very hard to to get off once he gets on top of you, from mm -hmm. what I understand. And just from what you see um, within his fighting style. Um, now, with that being said, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have somebody like, uh, like Sean Strickland. Mm -hmm. Sean Strickland pretty much is mostly stand-up. You know, he doesn't do a lot of grappling. He does a lot of, lot. he stands a, a bit in like a, a Philly shell stance to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, shout but, out Mashiba. Right, shout out Mashiba. And oh, I'm sorry, Mashiba's more Detroit style. My bad, my bad. Sorry, sorry. Still, that's still Philly shell though. That's still, this, the stance is still a shell stance, so that makes sense. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, you got Jack Manson who's known for that, and then you got Strickland who's known for the more so for the stand-up. Mm -hmm. And um Sean Strickland stands in a bit of that that Philly Shell stance, and he moves in very odd ways. Like it's sort of like uh when he moves his head, he goes in and out of being in uh orthodox to going to Southpaw just for literally for defensive purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, he was letting his hands go. Um, one thing that I really like with Sean Strickland is there's not a lot of telegraph with his punches. Mm. It's like from his chin to your face, from his hip to your face, there's straight lines. Not, yeah. Straight lines. It's not a lot of wind up. There's no real build up to the punch. It's he's standing there and his hand is from where it is to your face. He just <laughs> shoots it straight out. Um, I thought overall he had a really good performance. Jack Hermanson was just never able to get him down. Mm -hmm. uh, he was never able to, to, to grapple him down and get him down to the ground. He got kind of close a handful of times, but he was never able to uh, really secure a good takedown. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, it ended up being a stand-up fight, and Sean Strickland fought a pretty patient and kind of uncharacteristically technical fight. And that's not to say that he isn't uh, capable of 
technical performance, which is very obvious from the performance he turned in right. on Saturday. Right, right, right. Um, he's more, Sean Strickland coming into this is more known as the guy that is yelling at you and talking to you while he's fighting and throwing punches and pushing forward. And granted, he was pushing forward the vast majority of the fight. He had Jack Romanson on the back foot, but he wasn't throwing a lot of combinations. But man, his jab was a thing of beauty. That mm. jab was getting through. I mean, it felt like he couldn't miss. It was pretty much the only punch he was throwing. He wasn't throwing really heavy. Eventually, he started to follow up with a, you know, some right hands. He was going to the head, and then uh, he mixed it up and started going to the body as well. Um, but overall, it was, man, the jab was the story of that five rounds, man. He just kept stabbing that jab right into Jack Romanson's face, and, you know, the 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 uh, the proof was in the pudding at the end of the fight you could just see the difference in their faces and it was almost entirely from just those jabs sure. um and sean strickland was doing a really good job just getting his head off the line and you can just tell who was more comfortable striking just by watching you know there were times that some of the exchanges that jack romanson would get a little wild uh you know his he would be extending his arm on his hooks instead of keeping his arm curled you know, he was throwing with his head down, things like that. So, yeah. um, again, it's, he's not known to be a striker. Um, very similar to, like, a Damian Maya in that regard. Um, he's a guy who I'm sure is practicing his kickboxing. I'm sure he's practicing his stand-up. I'm sure he's sparring and things like that. But that just isn't really his route. Yeah. Um, but I think Sean Strickland did a good job and put in a really good performance for those five rounds. So, there's a very strong chance he'll be the the next man up for the winner of Israel Adesanya and uh, Robbie Bobby Wilford, Knuckles, which is next weekend. Yep. Yo, real quick, man, what what a set of nicknames: the Reaper and Bobby Knuckles. <laughs> right. Bobby Knuckles goes so hard, hard dude. It goes so hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's man. Anyway. So that was uh, UFC. Did you have any thoughts on that? Did you get a chance to check any of the fights out? Or no, nah, I didn't get a chance to check them out, but I'm gonna look at some highlights. Um, it's funny too that you mentioned about Sean Strickland because I did remember seeing a clip of him like talking to an opponent mid-fight, and not just like one round thing. It was like the whole fight. He's like, "Come on, man, you gotta fight me back. Come on, let's go, let's bang." You know, I was like, "Dude." Why is your head so hard? <laughs> like, right. it's, it's it's almost funny, you know. Um, no, not almost. It is funny, but but yeah, uh, to hear that he was not doing that this fight, like he definitely knew what he wanted out of this, right? Like you said, uh-huh. getting that title shot. Um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, going into the next thing that we had, which was the PBC pay per view. Uh, which was Keith Thurman versus Mario Barrios. Uh, for that card, I was able to catch both the co-main event and the main event. Um, and a little bit of a fight beforehand, uh, but I'll go more so into what I was able to get more uh, adequate notes on. So the co-main event was the return of uh, Leo Santa Cruz. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz is a 130-pound fighter, and he recently had fought Javante Davis. Um, he, you know, unfortunately he was knocked out. His knockout went relatively, it went pretty viral as well. Mm. Um, it was a beautiful slip out uppercut. But at any rate, last night he made his return to the ring. Um, and 
he what year was this the last time he fought yeah he hadn't fought since 2020 so this was his first fight in almost two years um and he fought against Keenan uh Carabal. and Keenan Carabal is another guy that is in the 130 pound division at the time he was 23 and 2 mm. um yeah you know pretty good record um, mm-hmm. He was coming off a TKO victory, you know, uh, just from back in November. So, you know, this guy had been relatively active and he was on a, you know, he's in the middle of a pretty solid win streak. Uh, this guy from Phoenix, Arizona, you know, 30 years old. And uh, Leo Santa Cruz is, you know, Mexican guy from San Antonio. So, man, they went after it. And when I, I mean, not from San Antonio, I'm so sorry. He's Mexican. I'm already thinking about Mario Barrios, who's from San Antonio. I apologize. So Leo Santa Cruz and uh, Keenan Carabaldi start going at it. And it's an action-packed fight. You know, uh, if you've watched any of Leo Santa Cruz's fights, he likes to get on the inside. He likes to bang. You know, he likes to... He likes to fight in a phone booth, man. That's what Leo Santa Cruz is going for. He wants to fight in a phone booth. Mm-hmm. And um, in the second round, there's an accidental headbutt from Keenan. And then there's another headbutt in the fourth round. Now, when he gets headbutted in the second round, he gets a cut kind of on his eyelid. and gets mm-hmm. headbutted again in the fourth. Um, throughout these kind of first four rounds, it's I won't call it even. I would say that there's a lot of back and forth action, but Leo Santa Cruz is definitely getting the better of the exchanges. You know, he's jabbing, uh, jabbing his way in. And when he's getting on the inside, he's throwing uppercuts. He's ripping shots to the body, ripping shots to the head. I mean, it was, it was a really good performance. Uh, it was a really good performance for this 10 round battle. Um, at a certain point, I want to say around rounds, either five or six, uh, Keenan Carabaugh seems to hurt his arm. I want to say it was his left shoulder. Yeah, he hurts his left shoulder in some kind of uh, weird way where he can't throw jabs. He goes in his corner. He's telling them that he can't jab. He can throw essentially looping punches, but I think maybe it might have been something with his elbow because mm. he was throwing uppercuts, he was throwing hooks, but he couldn't throw any jabs. Mm. He said he just he couldn't extend his arm. Um, and pretty much from that point forward, Leo Santa Cruz really was putting his foot on the gas. Um and Carabao's activity rate, as you can understand, dropped, you know, because he lost a pretty important weapon, which is the jab. Right. And obviously he was dealing with an injury uh, with his shoulder. And this isn't to take away from Leo Santa Cruz's performance at all, because um, Carabao went all, to, all 10 rounds. He made it to the end. And I mean, he battled it out regardless of his shoulder. You know, he had to play it a lot more defensive after that. But um, he was doing a lot of good work. Um, around the sixth round, he gets Leo Santa Cruz gets headbutted again. And during the times that he's getting headbutted, and this, you know, this cut is being affected. The referee was being very cautious and um, was definitely getting the doctor involved. And I wasn't mad at that at all. And the crowd didn't seem to be too affected by the stoppages either. You know, the fight got stopped about three times because of that eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just because. You know, with the guys fighting on the inside, the heads were so close, and sometimes Keenan would kind of duck in, and that was how the uh, the clash of heads happened in the first place. You know, and there's no way to choreograph those things. You know, he ducks. You know, if I zig and you zag, you know, our heads just might clash, and sometimes that's just what happens. Right. So, um, 
Yeah, man, Leo just went to work and it was like every time the doctor would stop the fight, every, like right after he would turn back around from the doctor and the referee resume the fight, it was like Leo would just explode with like a super just wave of energy and, you know, start fighting a lot more aggressively as if, you know, he thought that was going to put him back on the cards. Ultimately, uh, he won every single round of the fight. Uh, at the end of the fight, he wins a majority of decision. Everybody gave him, uh, it was, you know, the scorecards were all 100 to 90 across the board. Damn. Uh, for the 10, you know, for a 10 round fight on a 10 pound, on a 10 point must system. Right. Blowout. So um, that was the end for that. Uh, so Leo Santa Cruz moves on to, you know, 38, two and one. He pretty much has had a pretty solid career, pretty much a hall of fame career. And this guy is still young. You know, Leo Santa Cruz is only 33 mm -hmm. with a record of 38, two and one. And he's 33 years old. So, sure. yeah, yeah. Do the math, my man. Do the math, my guy. But yeah, so um, that was that fight. And then we're going into the main event. We had uh, Keith Thurman and he was fighting against Marios Barrios. So this fight was going to be a title eliminator for the WBC title and the current WBC champion at welterweight, 147 pounds, where this fight was contested is Errol Spence Jr. Mm. Um Errol Smith Jr. has been out recently with an injury, if I'm not mistaken, to his eye. Um, and this was Keith Thurman's return from injury. Uh, Keith Thurman is a guy who unfortunately had been plagued with quite a few injuries throughout his career. So he hasn't here recently, he hadn't been able to be as active um, as was, you know, the usual for him. This was a guy who, you know, typically would fight two, maybe three times a year. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2009, the guy fought five times. Damn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and this is, a, he's fought five times and he's turning in KOs and things like that as well. So, um, you know, you just got to kind of factor those things in. And he only lost once and that was his most recent fight. That was his first loss. And it was to Manny Pacquiao in 2019. Mm -hmm. So um, he hasn't lost since he lost that. And that was a split decision. He was dropped, uh, I believe, twice in that fight, but he, he's never been stopped. Um, you know what I mean? He's gone down, you know, the man's human. But yeah. uh, ultimately, this was his return fight after losing to Manny Pacquiao in the summer of 2019. And here he was fighting Marios Barrios. Marios Barrios um, is another guy who was coming off of a loss, um, but not a layoff. He was coming off of a loss also to Javante Davis, another opponent that he had in common with Leo Santa Cruz, um, where he was TKO'd, and that was in the summer of last year. Uh, essentially, what he was doing was he was moving up. So when he fought Javante Davis, he fought him at 140 pounds. And this was Marios Barrios's first, uh, this was his first time fighting at welterweight, which is 147 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, when he lost to Javante Davis, he lost his title at super lightweight, which is what the, the 140 pound weight class was. Mm -hmm. So he was having his debut at 147 against Keith Thurman, who uh, was a former champion in 147. So, and again, the first loss happened to Manny Pacquiao. He lost his title to Manny Pacquiao. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Manny Pacquiao, to anybody who doesn't know already, he's retired. So, right. I mean, again, you know, that just goes to show you how the landscape has changed. He's been out for two years just due to injuries. So, um, another interesting storyline that they brought up on the broadcast was uh, where they were fighting in Nevada. The ruling typically for welterweight fights is eight ounce gloves, but it can be 10 ounce gloves at the request of one of the fighters. But mm. typically nobody requests that they fight with the eight ounces. Mario's Barrios uh, elected to fight with the 10 ounce gloves and the fight was moved to, uh, for them to fight with 10 ounce gloves. Uh, Keith Thurman obviously was not a fan of that. Uh, pretty much saying that he would have had a little more respect for him if he would have fought with uh, what's typically the standard across welterweight, but you know, in Nevada and for anybody who, you know, just doesn't know uh, just with combat sports in general, the athletic commissions and rulings and things are very different from state to state. There's a general set of rules, but, how certain things are implemented and different intricacies are always different from state to state. Right. Um, so he elected to go with the 10 ounce gloves and uh, for, for tactical reasons that also was explained on the broadcast, which were, you know, this is his first time fighting in this weight class. And he's also fighting a former world champion of this weight class, you know, mm-hmm. barring the amount of time this guy was the champion one fight ago. Um, However, uh, combat sports is very much so what, you know, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) So uh, anyway, we get into the fight and the the bigger storyline is how is Marios Barrios going to perform at this next weight class, also being a former champion? And how is Keith Thurman going to look coming back off a two-year layoff against a a really tough young guy? Because Marios Barrios put on a crazy performance. Even though he ended up being TKO, he showed how tough he was. He showed that he was strong. He showed that he was a really good fighter. I mean, you know, he gained a ton of fans. And that fight, that performance alone granted him a fight of this magnitude. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Where he's fighting a former world champion in a title eliminator to fight for another world title. Right. Um, and then, you know, if that's not proof enough of how good he was, he was a world champion already. Right. So... This is literally two former world champions fighting for another opportunity. Um, so Keith Thurman came into this fight and oof, boy, he looked like he just got through fighting two weeks ago. <laughs> Keith Thurman was bouncing on his toes, was bouncing on his feet, was really in and out, was very athletic. He was very athletic in the way that he fought this fight against uh, Mario Sparrios. It was uh, fantastic performance there's you know there's no other way to put it um Mario's Barrios was definitely in the fight I'm not saying that he wasn't you know he was definitely there he had his moments he was throwing his punches but overall it was it was one-way traffic for Keith Thurman um Keith was winning the early rounds and then around round three he pretty much figured out that the uh the lunge and left hook was going to work for him and that lunge and left hook paid dividends for him time and time again throughout the course of this fight. He was throwing that, that jumping left hook. Sometimes he would twist just a little bit and use, use the, the, that a bit of elasticity from the twist and explode out with a hook kind of angling off to his left. And it was landing. It was landing a lot. You know, uh, Mario didn't really have much of an answer for it. And uh, Keith was starting to outwork him. 
He really was moving around, really getting in and out. And then he started to really sit down on those shots. And um, in round four, he really rocks him with a lunge and hook, really, you know, kind of puts him on uh, puts him on some spaghetti legs a little bit. And Mario Barrios was able to battle back, get his legs back under him. Um, you know, he was able to kind of get back stable. But for the most part, the fight kind of maintained with Keith Thurman being in control, moving around the ring, touching Mario Barrios. And it almost at a certain point started to seem like he was doing it at will, just, yeah. you know, with the, with the the looping hooks and the lunging attacks stuff like that, so you know I really thought he was doing a, a good job. So overall, you know Mario's Barrios was able to rally back at the end. He even uh, was able to hurt Keith Thurman with a, a little body shot, kind of towards the end of the ninth round. Uh, and then in the tenth round, Mario's Barrios really came alive. I'd say that's the round that he won in the mm. fight out of like the 12 rounds, because the fight goes all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Barrios won, I would say, round 10. And those last two rounds, it was, you know, it was, again, it was Thurman. Uh, round 12 was super competitive, though, I will say that. And like pretty much the last 20 to 15 seconds, they just get into a firefight and they just let them all go. And, you know, they both just let it all go. And, you know, they fought to the bell. Yeah. You know, the crowd got a chance to go home happy. It was a super entertaining fight. And uh, Keith Thurman, you know, won a majority decision. Uh, every judge gave it to him, but he looked really, 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 really good. Um, like he looked like he looked a few years ago. Uh, yeah. You know, his last few performances, just in my opinion, hadn't been as good as I thought they could have been. And it's because, you know, I've seen how good Keith Thurman is. Like, I like Keith Thurman. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was good to see him kind of seem like he got back to form. Um, but overall, I would say that he had a really good performance. And, you know, I look forward to seeing if he's going to get a chance to get that get that shot at Errol Spence uh, as, you know, we wait to see what's going to be the next fight for Errol Spence Jr. But Keith Thurman did say he was open to fight any of the champions. And the champions right now are Errol Spence Jr., Terrence Crawford, and uh, Jordinas Ugas. So, mm-hmm any of those three he'd be open to and you know with him being a guy that was a champion just literally one fight ago and turning in a performance he turned in I'm very interested to see what's going to happen next for him yeah yeah man that's going to conclude the combat sports section and we're going to get into our last section which is our question of the week our question of the week is what universe would you not want to live in uh, I think it's safe to say Attack on Titan is number one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one you going with? You going yeah. With Attack on Titan? Yeah, I got, right, go some, I got some honorable mentions. I got oh, some honorable mentions. Me, tell, me, tell me why you go with uh, Attack on Titan. So I'm going to go with Attack on Titan because I, I viewed this question as, all right, if I'm in this universe and I don't have a plot armor generated by being a protagonist or adjacent to a protagonist and I'm like more of an NPC, um, there's a high chance I would have to deal with the Titan, right? At some right. point, the walls broke, uh, especially like kind of leading to, I want to say the arc before the final arc uh, that is currently going on in the anime. But if you read the manga, you know what time it is. Uh, but yeah, no, man, the, the, the likelihood of you getting fucked up by a Titan, eaten by a Titan, 
It's too high. You're just out here mind your own business, doing some laundry and shit. And all of a sudden, like this goofy looking giant motherfucker just eats you, dude. Like, no, I'm all right. I'm straight. I don't need to be in that universe. Um, that's that's why Attack on Titan is my number one. My honorable mention before you get to yours, I just want to mention this too because I thought, well, we'll see how people react to this take. Uh, Psychopaths. Now, oh man, I yeah, say psychopaths because and this is getting a little dark. I'm a black man, right? And the cops have these guns. I don't know if the if, no, bro, um, there's no way. There's already enough technology. Like there's <laughs> enough things that we're dealing with. For us like, specifically, that would be like, you know, it's, they don't like, have, it's like no black people naked. Like, 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 yeah, that that could also be a red flag, right? Mm. But Matt knows exactly where I'm going with this. Like, I just no, I, I no, no, psychopaths ain't the one for me. Uh, <laughs> that was my honorable mention. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm curious to see what you thought would be the one universe you want no parts of. Bro, the universe I don't want no parts of is, I don't want to be nowhere in the universal century art of Gundam. <laughs> I don't want to be no. We've talked about this before too. None yeah. of that. Bro, I don't want to be the nowhere where, I don't want to be nowhere where your a continent, get turned into a, a continent get turns into a crater. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you can't flee, bro. A continent. Do you understand? Do you understand? That you don't have a plane fast enough to get you off a continent. You out of there. They like, oh yeah, we just gonna drop this space column. They like, we gonna do what Char did again. What you mean again? What? <laughs> nah, man. It's people living in space. Like, bro, just imagine. Like, imagine you just you just living your life. You on your way to work. You just at work. Just at work, just typing code and shit. And then you just look over, just look to your left. You look out the Whiteness. window and shit. It's like, <laughs> damn, Whiteness. why is the sky so... And it's just white. No sound. You gone, bro. Oh, okay, okay. Because somebody blew your space colony up. Or they Black. decide, you know what? We're going to shut off your artificial gravity. And whatever planet you go into, that's just where you at. Bro, Gla- what? Glass half full, quick death. <laughs> like, yeah, glass, I guess glass half glass full, half quick full, death. Like, bro. Half. Do you understand? Do you understand? The Universal Century arc is so crazy that if you live to be like forty, you clearly was a savage. Like if you had a shred of gray hair, like if you make it past twenty-five in Universal Century, you're a dog. Whether you're a good guy or a bad guy, that's like, Jesus. Who's this guy? Who's this grizzled veteran? Like, look He's at what that twenty-five. Look at what that universe does to Armor, bro. Armor yeah. is 16. By the time he's 21, he looks like he's 35. <laughs> right. Like, dude has been through too much. No, bro. No, I don't want to be no parts of that universal century arc. Uh, the second, the second arc I was the second universe I was gonna say, uh, my honorable mention is the Dragon Ball universe. Clearly, like I thought about this. Go on. Say what you guys say, and I got an opinion about that. Go on. Bro, the Boo Saga alone. Right. Just the Boo Saga, like the, the end. Right. Evil Boo just being like, man, you know what? I'm just going to kill everybody. Everybody? What about motherfuckers who didn't even know Boo was a thing? Niggas who right. didn't even know Bro existed. It's like that. Right. Nah. Boo, even technically speaking, showed up in the afterlife, right? When yeah, they thought bro, they could escape to the, the Kaioshin uh, universe, he was like, yeah, nah, he I was can like, nah, I'm here too. I can track you. Um, but this is why I said uh, th- this is why I think about the Dragon Ball universe 
Uh, first of all, the boo thing is a fantastic argument and could shut down what I'm about to say. But I wouldn't mind being in the Dragon Ball universe, not because death essentially becomes meaningless. That's not why. But because it looks like every being has the potential to exceed their limits. Uh, in particular, I want to highlight Krillin. But oh. I think a stronger argument, Videl. Now, for all intents and purposes, Videl is just a regular ass human. Uh, maybe she trained martial arts most of her life based off the fact that she is Hercules' daughter, but she really did not understand the concepts of ki. Uh, Gohan taught her how to fly and Gohan taught her the principles of energy, right? Key circulating throughout the body and how to use that to your advantage. And that leads me to believe that it's very possible for regular humans, if given the right guidance slash training in the Dragon Ball universe to be able to, you know, be some, like, you you, you know, you're not going to be a Yamcha or a Krillin and notice how I'm using them because you, you're not reaching, you're not going to yeah. reach a Saiyan or a Namekian, right? That's right. But you can get there. It's not unattainable. You got Yamcha, you got Krillin. I would say Tien, but even after reading Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Super a few times, I still am not sure he's human, uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah. like, you know, if you look at the other humans, like there's potential that you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that bad, you know, unless it's like a, a universe ending scenario or like a Majin Buu, right? You could, you could do all right in the Dragon Ball world. That's what I want to say, um, you know, but other than that, I agree. Uh, if there's a boo, <laughs> like, uh, that might be a rap. Yeah. yeah man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But your first one, Universal Century Arc, uh, Gundam, uh, yeah. That... Bro, bro, like, look, I understand. <laughs> Iron-Blooded Orphans is crazy and all that, right? Yeah. Like, there's no, there is no, I don't, I don't, I'll argue this with anybody. There's nothing, there's no universe of Gundam wilder than Universal Century Art. Mm. Like, you need to understand that there's there's small side stories in that art are genocide level events. Mm. Planets, whole colonies destroyed, shit like that. Side story. That's not even the main shit going on. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Like, in a world in a world where genocide is a side story, yeah. nah, nah, that's pretty they, they, wild. TikTok gotta do it, <laughs> gotta do it. You don't gotta worry about me. Like, nah, I'm straight. Nah, you, you come to the back right. Come to the back with me right quick. Bet. Am I going to jail? Bet. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bet. That's a bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They wilding over there. I'm cool. Right. So that would be mine. Right. And with that, uh, I feel like this brings us to the end. But also, too, like, you know, hit us up on our Instagram and please feel free to comment, like, for one, what part of the episode you like. But if you have any thoughts on, like, what anime manga world you would not want to set foot in or have any parts of, let us know. Like, we're down to, like, engage a conversation, right? Yeah, for sure. Let us know, man. Let us know what y'all thinking. What's the anime universe that you didn't want to live in? Right. You want absolutely no parts of. Um, but once again, uh, thank you all for tuning in, listening uh, on whatever platform, whether you're listening on um, 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, because I know we distribute through Anchor too. SoundCloud, we appreciate the listens. We really do. We appreciate the good reviews. Um, hit us up on our social media for the podcast itself at Now Mind You Pod on Instagram. Uh, you can hit me up at Tus4 underscore skate, T U S S 4 underscore S K A T E. If you want to see clips of me skateboarding inside my enclosed porch because it's wintertime where we're at right now, uh, <laughs> feel free to tune into that. Um, Matt, where can they find you? You can find me at uh, Matt Hambrick, M A T T H A M B R I C. Um, that's where you can follow me on Instagram if you want to see me promoting the Now Mind You podcast or <laughs> my boxing or the gym that I box out of, Body Shop Boxing Club at 600 West Sermat. Shameless plug, shameless plug. Shameless shout plug. out, shout out. But yeah, once again, thank you all for listening and we will see you all next week with another episode of the Now Mind You podcast. Thank you all so much. And Matt, is Belly Laser still a bitch? Man, permanently. <laughs> That's you right. I know. Okay. All right. Also, happy Black History Month. We didn't even we didn't even acknowledge it because we didn't think about it last time. But uh yeah, this is our second episode in Black History Month 2022. So uh shout out Black Owned Podcast. You know what time it is. You know what time it EI is. Huh. All right, y'all. Peace. Peace. <laughs>